Hey friends, this is Josh Blair. I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the message you hear today will encourage you, inspire you, and help you walk closer with Jesus this week. Word of God this morning. I, I, I really hope that you're enjoying this series on the Gospel of Mark, going through the entire book of Mark. I think it's so powerful for us to see uh, what the first gospel, Mark is, we believe, the first gospel written about the account of Jesus, and the main point of Mark is to reveal to us who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and and we've been going through this, we went through the last uh, four weeks of going through the introduction, first uh, chapters one, two, and three, and now we'll be jumping into chapter four, and in chapter four, Mark starts off with a bunch of parables. And if you were here last week, we, we looked at the very first parable that Mark talked about, uh, where Jesus is te- telling the scribes who come down from Jerusalem about the strong man binding the strong man. Do you remember that? That was a, that was a small picture of, the, of more parables that Jesus would be talking to us in, in the gospel of Mark. And as we go through chapter 4 this morning, we're going to look at, there's actually four parables that Jesus gives in the first uh, first few verses, first 30 some odd verses of chapter 4, and the, and three of them are about seeds. And the fourth one is about a lamp, and but not in that order. Actually, he goes first seeds, then lamp, then seed, seed. And we're going to break those down this morning to see what, what Jesus is really uh, wanting to reveal to us, and what Mark is conveying to us as he writes this together. So uh, without further ado, I want to jump right into the text, uh, but let's pray together first. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that we are in your presence today, that we get to gather with others who are seeking after you, who want a touch from you, Lord, who are desperate for you, Jesus, just like we're desperate for you. We ask that you would open our ears to hear you, open our eyes to see you, God, open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing already and what you'll continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, speaking of Jesus, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that when he got into a boat and sat in the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since it didn't have did not have depth of soil. And when the sun arose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, and he, said he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's keep reading verse 10. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now we need to stop. Because what Jesus just said right now should make you think a little bit and say, I'm kind of confused. Right? Because we understand Jesus came to forgive us, to set us free, to turn things upside down, to make things right again. And yet, right here in this 
parable, after he spoke this parable to his disciples, he says, to you have been given the secret, but to those who are outside, I've hidden it so that they wouldn't just hear it and receive it, so that they wouldn't just be forgiven. So what is he talking about? Because it seems contradictory to what we understand of the reason why Jesus came. So we need to stop and ask some questions here about why Jesus spoke in this way. When we spoke last week, we talked about the word parable as it's translated from the Greek, from the Hebrew. And in the Hebrew word, it means to riddle or to confound or to confuse. And Jesus is speaking in these parables not to make things simple, but to hide what he is doing. Why is he doing that? Why? What's going on there? There's there's something uh, that we need to unpack here more than just uh, a couple of things that we need to go over first. Before Jesus makes this statement, he tells the disciples, and his disciples are more than just the 12. It says those who are around him plus the 12, the apostles that he called that said, you're going to represent me. You're going to cast out demons in my name. You're going to preach and the circuit are going to be healed. All of them are all around him at this time. And he says that you have been given the secret of the kingdom, but everyone else, it has been hidden from them. Throughout the gospel of Mark, as we go through this gospel, you're going to see what they call this motif or this thread that's woven all the way through the gospel about the secrecy of what God is doing and the secrecy of the kingdom and the secrecy of what Jesus is doing. You'll see it even in in healing stories. Jesus will heal somebody and say, now don't go tell nobody. Other times he'll, he'll heal somebody. Someone who's outside, we'll see this in chapter five, someone who's outside the nation of Israel, he'll heal those who are Gentiles like you and me. And then he'll say, go tell everybody. But in the nation of Israel, it's hidden from them. And it's interesting that Mark has woven this thread of secrecy throughout the entire gospel. We'll see here in these parables, and we'll see it again when Jesus heals throughout Mark. There is this drive to keep things quiet for as long as possible. And I think this parable here in chapter 4 will reveal to us some insight as to why Jesus did it that way. Secondly, I think it's really important for us to know that Mark either quotes uh, Isaiah or has Jesus quoting Isaiah throughout the entire book. Um, in fact, I heard one of my professors say, if, if this was written today, we'd have to uh, call Mark into the office for plagiarism because he talked about Isaiah so much and he didn't necessarily quote him so much. He didn't do a little footnote. And this, this is from Isaiah. He didn't write it down, but he, we noticed that he's done that quite a bit throughout the entire gospel of of mark and what's important about this saying of that they might see but not perceive that they might hear but not understand is actually a direct quote from isaiah chapter 6 when god calls the prophet isaiah and says i want you to go speak to my people but my people though they see you will not perceive what you're saying though they hear you they will not understand and then it's echoed again in chapters 42 and 43 this time it's surrounded by God saying, I'm going to send a savior to a people who are blind and who are deaf so that they might see and that they might hear. So what, what Jesus is saying and what Mark is trying to point out to us is that those who were in Jesus was speaking, they would have known Isaiah very well. They would have known his words. They, they read it every time they gathered in the synagogue together most times. And they would be very familiar. Even Mark's author, or, uh, audience, when he wrote to them, they would be familiar with this. And so this saying of Jesus would make them think about what God was saying back in the Old Testament of what he was going to do in the New Testament. This revelation of what Jesus was going to be coming for. And what's important even in in Isaiah 42 verses 
22, it talks about the people being blind and deaf so much that they have been plundered and they've been looted. And then it says in verse 22 that you've been plundered and looted so much that you have become the plunder, that you have become the loot that the enemy has stolen. And do you remember last week we talked about Jesus saying when they accused him of being demon possessed, he said, no, I came to bind the strong man. And if you're going to loot the strong man's house, you got to bind him up first before you steal what he's taken. Right. You can before you steal what's in his house. And it's referring back. It's all connected. Jesus says the people have become the plunder. And Jesus says, I came for the people. Those that will hear and those that will listen, those that will see what I'm doing. It's all connected together. And all of these things would have been familiar to the hearers and the readers of Mark's gospel. And we'll see why Jesus didn't just say it plainly. Sometimes people will say, well, why didn't Jesus just come out and say, hey, y'all? Because Jesus is Southern. He would have said, hey, y'all. I'm the Savior. I'm the one you've been looking for. Why didn't he do that? I believe the parables that he spoke reveals the reason why he didn't just come out and say it plainly. Verses 13 through 20, Jesus goes on to explain another parable. Or before he says that, he explains the parable to the disciples. And he gives them a rebuke. He says to them, do you not understand, verse 13, do you not understand this parable of the sower and the seeds? How then will you understand all the parables? So by saying that, there's something about this parable that is the key that unlocks the truth of all the other parables. He says, if you can't understand this one, you're not going to understand the rest of the parables. And he says this in an explanation of what he just told the people. He says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they hear, but Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And there are those ones that sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away, they wither. Verse 18, and others of the ones who are sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Most times when I've heard this, this passage preached, uh, it, the soils are related to our hearts, right? And that's really easy to see. But, but I don't know if it was intentional or not, but how it was presented to me when I was hearing it and to others was that the types of soil of your heart are permanent types of soil. Either you have good soil and you receive the word and you become a follower of Jesus, or you have rocky soil and you receive it real quickly, but then persecution comes or hardships come and you fall away. Or you're, you're, you have soil that's a bunch of is thorny, and then when you try to, uh, you listen to all the worries of life and the riches and the desires choke out the fruit, and you never bear any fruit. But it's always this presentation that it's just the type of soil of your heart is a permanent thing. So thank God we have good soil. Amen. But I think that it goes beyond that. I think that the soil of our hearts can change and can transform by the power of God. I believe that it's, it's it's not to say that someone who has rocky soil towards God will always be that way. Or if you have a heart necessarily that is good soil for the word of God to grow, you may not always be that way either. 
But I think that there's something else that is being taught here that we need to grasp in our lives, that the soils of our lives can change. So that if you have rocky soil or soil with thorns or the enemy has come and robbed the word away from you, it won't be that way forever. You can have good soil and you can receive the word, but in another season of life, thorns and worries can come to try to rob you of the fruit of God in your life. And I believe that because of because of Peter. Many scholars believe that Peter is a type of rocky soil in this gospel. It's only in Mark's gospel that we see this connection when when Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ, if you know this part, that Jesus says, you are Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church, right? Peter means rock. It's like Jesus gave him the nickname Rocky. You know, Adrian. Jesus said, hey, you're Rocky now. You're Rocky, right? And so a lot of times when we think about Peter being named Rocky, we think of that verse in Matthew. That you're, oh, he named him Rocky because he's going to be the rock. But in all the other gospels, including Mark, which is the first account that we really have written down, the only connection that Peter has to being nicknamed Rocky is rocky soil. Because that word is only presented in Matthew's gospel first, or in Mark's gospel first, in this parable. He basically says there are some that have Peter soil, that have rocky soil. And Peter is a perfect example throughout the gospel of Mark of what it means to be rocky. Peter is this, is this person who receives the word with joy. When Jesus walks up and says, follow me, he follows immediately, right? He's excited. In fact, Peter is so gung-ho, he's ready to fight for Jesus with the sword. He's like, what are we going to do? We're going to overthrow these, these Romans? What are we going to do? I'm ready. I'll go with you. I got a sword. I'll cut people's ears off. And then he did. He was, he was gung-ho. He was ready to go. He's, in fact, the first one of the disciples of the apostles to confess Jesus is the Son of God. He's the first one to get that revelation. So there's so much joy. There's so much ready. He's amped. He's pumped. He's ready to follow Jesus. But he's also... The one who runs when persecution arises. He's also the one who denies Jesus three times in the temple courts. Even when a, when a, little, when a little servant girl accuses him, no less. A grown man, a fisherman, rough and tough. This little servant girl goes, aren't you with this Jesus? And he's like, no, no. And he curses. Says, I'm not. So when persecution arises, Peter falls away. He's gung-ho. He's ready. He's on fire. But tribulations come. The sun rises and he withers away. And we see this in Peter's life. But what's important is that he didn't remain rocky forever. His soil of his heart didn't remain shallow forever. There was something that he encountered in the risen Jesus that shifted him in a moment. And in fact, in John's gospel, we see that after Jesus is dead and Peter is downcast, he's, he mourns, it says that he regrets denying, he's saddened when he hears the rooster crow because Jesus was prophesying in the moment. Here's what's powerful that got me so much, and I'm probably going to give it away by the time we get there, but hopefully you'll forget maybe a little bit. But they were beating Jesus 
spitting in his face and saying, prophesy. The very moment his prophecy was being fulfilled about Peter outside the gates. He was prophesying even in the moment that they were demanding a prophecy. And in the moment, something happens in Peter. And it says in John's gospel, Peter went back to his old life. He went to his, back to his old way of living. It says that he was back and fishing again because he said, well, I, I guess this is, there's nothing here for me. I've walked away. I've messed up. I've denied my Lord. I even cursed. I was afraid. I, I, I'm just going to go back to what's familiar. And he goes back, but it says that Jesus himself shows up on the shore, yells out, Peter, have you caught anything? And in the moment, it says he's fully clothed. He actually grabs his cloak and throws it on, and he jumps into the water because he recognizes Jesus. Jesus cooks for him, and he asks him, do you love me? Asks him three times, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Three times because he denied him three times, but he wanted to restore him again by his confession of love. And the soil of his heart went from rocky to good by the power of God moving in him. See, some of us, we feel like, well, maybe I just don't have good soil. I, got my, I, I don't know if I can bear fruit in my life because I've got so many worries and I've got, man, I, got, I desire things that aren't good or I, I, I pursue the riches of this world that are, and they're choking me out. Maybe I just don't have the right stuff. No, can I tell you that even if your heart is unreceptive now, it doesn't have to be unreceptive forever. Even if the worries of this life are trying to choke you out now, they won't hope to choke you out forever. Even if you lose your joy and lose your fire, even if you, you get down and depressed and anxiety weighs on you, it doesn't have to be that way forever. Because God can change the soil of your heart. And he wants to do it. He can do it because he has the power to do anything in us. It doesn't have to be that way forever. The word doesn't have to be snatched away from your loved ones forever. Those you are continuing to preach to and, and, and invite and love on and say Jesus can change your life. And they keep saying no, no, no. Don't give up because it won't be that way forever. Because the ground that can be broken up by the spirit of God to make their hard heart soft again. To make the hard path uh, good soil again. He can do it. When our hearts are open to him. He can transform us. But can I also give a challenge, a word of encouragement and challenge to those who have good soil of our hearts? Be mindful that just because you are pursuing God now and you are seeing fruit of your life, don't give up. Don't stop because, well, I'm already doing good things. I'm already, you know, I already love the Lord. I, you know, because your soil can change if, 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 if you're not continuing to pursue Jesus. Jesus goes on to tell two other parables about seeds. One found in verse 26 through 29, and it's about how the farmer sows seeds into the ground. He buries them. They're hidden, and they're doing work beneath the surface. The farmer, he sleeps. He rises. He sleeps. He rises, and all the time, the, the seeds are doing something in the soil, in the dark, in the hidden place. Then he goes on to verse 30. He compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. At that time was known as the smallest seed in the world and how that seed can grow out of the soil and, and even the air will nest in its branches from the very smallest 
to a place for a home for birds. But between these parables of seeds, Jesus tells this parable of a lamp being under a basket. Verse 21. If we have it here, it says this. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed or not on a stand? Listen to this. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, we talked about Markian sandwiches last week, right? Some of y'all get a little hungry. We talked about what's in the middle reveals what's happening on the outside. Now, I, I, I don't see anywhere in commentaries or anything this is a Markian sandwich, but I just happened to read it in a certain way that thinks that this parable says something about the parables that surround it. First, he says, whatever you do in secret will grow and come to light. Whether it's something good that you do in secret or something you do bad in secret, regardless of what you're sowing in secret, that seed will come to light. Jesus starts this section by speaking of parables of seeds about riddles. And he tells his disciples that you have been given the secret of the kingdom, but everyone else it's been hidden. Then he says, nothing that's hidden will remain that way. And nothing that's in secret will remain there, but it get to be exposed to the light. And he tells two more parables about seeds being buried and coming to light. What's my point? In Mark, Jesus speaks in parables to hide the truth of the kingdom so that those who see may not perceive and those who hear may not understand, but then says nothing, I hide nothing except to expose it to those who are ready to hear it. Those who are willing, who have ears and want to receive it. Maybe what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is hidden except to those who will continue to seek it out. If the soil of our hearts can change, like Peter's soil from rocky soil to good soil, then it's the continual seeking of Jesus that matters more than the state of our hearts in the different seasons that we're in in life. Even Peter, when he was afraid and he gets a bad rap, but he was the only one who snuck into the temple court to see what would happen to Jesus. Even in his fear, he continued to pursue. Even in his dis disappointment when he denied Jesus, there was still something in him that was like, I don't know what's happening, but I want to be near him. Even if I'm fearful, even if I'm afraid, I still want to pursue. And it could be maybe even in that situation, even though fear won over him that night, there was still a shifting in the soil of his heart because he was still wanting to be near Jesus. Maybe if something in this walk with Jesus doesn't make sense now. We should continue to seek after him because what is hidden from us now will soon be brought to light later if we'll pursue Jesus. Even if you're dealing with past mistakes and current ones, maybe things that you're doing now, keep seeking Jesus. Even if you're struggling and to understand what God is doing or how he transforms us from the inside out, Maybe even if you're walking with guilt and shame this morning, keep seeking Jesus. It's in the pursuit of Jesus that our hearts 
are transformed. It makes me think of two verses in the Old Testament. The first one is Proverbs 25, 2. And it says this, It is the glory of God to conceal things or to hide things, but is the glory of kings and queens to search it out. Could it be that sometimes God hides certain things from us just to see if we're willing to continue to pursue him? Because in the pursuit, we will see his glory. When he reveals the hidden things to us because we've continued to press in, even when everything else seems to tell us to stop, that we are revealed the truth of the kingdom of God. It also says in Psalm 119.11, David speaking to God, he says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Whatever we bury will grow. Whatever we bury will grow. Can you put that picture up? Seeds are buried for one purpose, to grow. And it's in the darkness of the soil that something begins to transform that seed into a plant. It's something in the soil, the hidden things that cause certain things in our lives to grow. My question for you this morning is, what are you planting in your heart? What are you planting in your life? If, if it's God's word, it will grow in you. If you hide his word in your, in your heart, you will not sin against him because you will produce righteousness. If you plant prayer, you will reap a harvest of the things you've been asking the Lord to do. Whatever you plant will grow. Are you planting his word so that you would not sin against him? Or are you planting sin, even secret sin, in your life, hoping that it won't grow? It will. Because whatever you plant will grow. Whatever is hidden will come to light. Whatever we bury in secret will be brought to the public. So what do you want to be exposed in your life? If the things that you're doing, you don't want anybody else to know, then this is the challenge to say to repent and seek Jesus and don't allow those things to continue to bear fruit in your life. And if you want to grow in righteousness and grow to know your knowledge of Jesus, then plant his word in your heart so that it will produce the fruit that you want to see. What are you burying this morning? What's the condition of your heart today? What type of soil do you have? Regardless of what the soil is today, can I encourage you? There's only one type of soil that we want the good soil, but if you're the other types of soil, can I encourage you today that it doesn't have to remain that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Your heart doesn't have to be in a place that can't receive the word of God forever. If it's wrapped up by the things of this world or the things that are trying to consume you or the desires of your flesh, you can turn towards Jesus today and allow him to transform those that soil that won't bear the fruit of God into a soil that will. If you don't understand, seek Jesus. If worry and riches are choking you out, seek Jesus. If this whole church thing just doesn't make sense to you and you don't know why we're here, 
Seek Jesus. Keep seeking Jesus. If you were once passionate about following Jesus, but once something hit your life or, or, or something happened that challenged your faith and you fell back away from him, seek Jesus. Don't allow the guilt and the shame of your life to stop you from seeking Jesus. Keep seeking Jesus. And even if you love the Lord and you're daily pursuing him and you've seen the fruit of that faithfulness in your life, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, continue to seek Jesus. There's always more of Jesus for us. There's always more of what God wants to do in us. And he wants to do it this morning. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to leave with this big idea in your heart. That you should continue to pursue Jesus even if things don't make sense. Continue to pursue Jesus even if things don't make sense. Because he's the one who will reveal all things to you in time. But hold on to him. Don't allow the enemy to come in and say, you tried, you tried, you went to church, you you gave, you tried to serve, but your, your life is still a hot mess. That situation isn't solved yet. You still got issues in your marriage. You still got financial woes. See, it ain't working for you. Just walk away. Do something else. No, don't allow the enemy to rob the seed of God in your heart. Keep pursuing Jesus. Don't believe the lie that the soil that you're currently in will be your soil forever. God wants to transform you. God wants to bring your life and the goodness of who he is to light in your life so that you'll bear fruit that remains. So this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if I could have the worship team come forward, if the soil of your heart looks like any other soil other than the good soil, know that Jesus can change you in a moment if you'll let him. My prayer this morning is that you will have a heart that is ready to receive this word of God for you, that he has poured out his spirit for you, that he has poured out his blood for you, that he gave his life for you, that he was buried in darkness for three days, but his life brought light to the entire world when he rose from the grave and lives forever. And he wants to bring you new life today. And he wants to take your darkness, your pain, your hurt, and he wants to transform it into being a light for him if you'll let him.